or what if we were totally a, like a sports brand? Wow. What if we were like Skechers? Yeah, and that was that was a little bit of a scary option. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 169 the Rockstar CMO FE Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 3rd of June. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar but with this podcast I want to share the marketing screen knowledge I've picked up on my journey from techie to CMO with the help of true rockstars. My guests and chums old and new to inspire the marketing rockstar in you. You can find links to me, my guests, and all the things we talk about in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our street knowledge blog and newsletter, and we are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. This week in the marketing studio, Jeff Clark and I discuss customer marketing. I go backstage with Connor Altier, global brand strategy lead at Reebok, and Robert Rose shares a cocktail and a marketing thought in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, the Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark. Our weekly dose of marketing street knowledge from our resident rockstar CMO, strategy advisor and former Forrester Research Director. Welcome, Ian, to the studio. Thank you, mate. Nice to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. We're having uh, very hot summer weather here today. Actually, it's not really hot that yet, but it's going to get hot and hotter. So, um, yeah, we're gearing up for uh, what feels like summer. Nice. It's, uh, yes, we've had a bit of a a cloudy day and the sun has just come out and it's five o'clock in the evening here, which is quite nice. And also, um, just a a note on our our weekly weather updates, a friend of the show and listener, Dennis Shaw, was was around Massachusetts and I'm pretty convinced that he found our weather reports incredibly useful on his travels. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should... Have a regular feed. <laughs> What's the I'm weather in your territory? I was <laughs> <laughs> joking, but hello, Dennis. Anyway, so this week we're going to talk about a hot topic. Well, a hot topic for me because I'm in B2B marketing, uh, customer marketing, and I wanted to pick your brains, Jeff, in our usual fashion in that I've got something on my mind that I need to talk to somebody intelligent about, and I've <laughs> thought we might as well record it, right? So. <laughs> might as well make use of the hour. <laughs> Yes, and what, and so we we you prepared something here, and I love the subtitle of our notes today, which is "Customers, you can't live with them, you can't live without them." <laughs> that is uh, certainly true. 
there's some words to live by. But anyway, so custom marketing, hot topic right now. And I think that there's two things going on in, in our world. One of them is obviously in B2B technology, we're primarily SaaS now. So that means that we need to keep people um, engaged on a more regular basis. We can't just come back to them every three years and say, oh, it's renewal time. Can I take you for dinner? Um, yeah. It's more <laughs> <Yeah>. about <laughs> you a sales know, job. <laughs> yeah, you've got you know we've got to keep the we've got to keep everybody happy and um, uh, and also because I think what I'm seeing at the moment is you know with there being a bit of a squeeze in the economy right now you know that tends to be that we should be looking a bit close to home and and we have this audience and also I thought I'd I thought I'd do a bit of a Jeff and do some research. <laughs> 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 I know why am I here? Why are you here? Um, and. <laughs> And, you know, it depends on where you get your stats from. And I do try and find out the provenance of some of these things we talk about is it's either five to seven times more expensive to get a new customer. Everybody knows that, right, than sell to existing. But one of the things I thought was quite interesting is also the success rate. I think you don't often hear this quoted. And I, I, I read that, you know, you've got 60 to 70 percent chance of winning with it when you're selling to a current customer. But your success rate of a new customer, as we all know, can vary between five and 20 percent. So I think that sort of lead. Uh, lead that pipeline ratio is is you know if you can make that more efficient then there's, that's that's amazing for B two B tech companies like mine. Anyway, that's my little ramble. What say you, Jeff? What say me? Well, you know, <laughs> the thing is that I think that you know we would think that marketing to our customers is kind of motherhood and apple pie, but it just seems to me like <laughs> that that you know the attention we pay to customers is typically a small slice, you know, of that pie as opposed to yeah. you know, going out and getting new revenue. Yeah. So, you know, we focus on generating net new, you know, at the expense of retention renewals. Um, it was interesting for me when I was at uh, serious decisions and then at Forrester since uh, retaining, I mean, we had metrics about retaining customers as well yeah. as getting net new. And, and I, at least there, the the focus on um, on retention and making sure they're happy was, uh, I'd say, was um, was very healthy. Yeah. But as you see, you know, SaaS businesses or any subscription model, like we had at Serious Decisions, you know, thinking about the whole life cycle uh, of a customer is essential. You know, it's not just an option. You know, yeah. it's, just, it's not a nice to yeah. do. Yeah. But you know, you're measuring your impact on what's market's impact on recurring revenue, you know, ARR, MRR, what. What's our impact on renewal rights, mm. renewal rates, mm -hmm. uh, customer lifecycle costs, satisfaction, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's really important to be thinking about kind of you know, split your mind mm -hmm. <laughs> and think about that, yeah. that second part of the life cycle. Well, I mean, it's something we're all facing um, at B2B in B2B tech is that, you know, you've, there's this thing called churn. And uh, and you've got to you've got to replace those people that go out the door. So why not stop them from going out the door? And then you don't need <laughs> to sell so much. So yeah, I, 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 this this is a great topic. And how is it that I mean you've got these great models for everything, and particularly when you're at Forest of Serious Decisions. So how do you actually model that? Well, there's um there's one actually. You know, we did a session uh, an episode. I mean, two years ago, we're kind of went through buyer, <laughs> buying models and we went yeah, through yeah. what the different inferences, after, yeah. the different types of models and their yeah. emphasis. And so one of them was the Pedowitz, <coughs> excuse me, the Pedowitz group had a, you know, customer lifecycle model that was mm. like a figure eight. And I know this is hard to, hard to visualize, but if you can mm. figure, think of one side of the figure eight being, you know, you've got customers or potential customers are unaware, then they're aware. 
then they're considering, now they're evaluating, they're making a decision, okay? And then you get the uh, post-purchase life cycle of you're onboarding them, you're going to determine their level of adoption. Are they, you know, actually, are they getting value? So what's the value realization? Mm -hmm. Loyalty, advocacy, you know, where, where do you can start? Where can you start to use the customers to actually help you market to other customers? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at some point, as you're getting that, you know, toward the the latter stages of that post purchase, mm. you not need to be thinking about the next purchase. Yeah. So then they, I mean, I've seen this. I mean, I know it's a figure of eight, and I can see the notes as well for for you, and it goes right in. But there's also, isn't it? Is it a Forrester model where it kind of there's like a loop and then a taily bit that comes off, isn't it? And yeah, and then and then it comes back in because if you're up, if you're upselling or cross selling, then they're at some point going to go back to consideration, evaluation, decision making. Absolutely, you've got to be conscious of that. Yeah, yeah. And you got to make sure, just like you said, you know, it's easier to yeah. sell to current customers. So yeah, let's make sure that it's <laughs> as yeah. easy as possible yeah. so they're maximizing. Uh, you know. Both yeah. the value that our customers are getting and the and the value we're getting out of the, the relationship. Yeah, and I think and when I mean we, I've been doing this for a while, and and quite often we map the pre-sale journey in quite a lot of detail and the customer journey there, and then it's kind of like oh, and then there'll be advocacy, loyalty, whatever you know, yeah, you're on down the line, right? And, Things and, we do, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and there's so much more emphasis and budget being placed in those early stages than there is in those later stages, so. So post, so there are these post sales stages almost, right? In this loop that you're describing, um, how many are, have you? I hope you've got five effing stages. I'll be no, sorry, there's six. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I didn't, I didn't, you know, I'm not taking credit for this this model. So, you know, I would have, I would have cut it down to five. Yeah, and I actually, there's, there's, there's a couple that that. Kind of have a lot of overlap. Yeah. But, so when um, we so we write, when we write up the blog post and it's, it's our five F in fundamentals of of customer marketing, we'll 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 add that. We'll have to, we'll do, or we or we can do a cross out of the F and put six sexy <laughs> stages or something like. that. All right, fair enough. You want to change change our old editorial? Then fair enough, Jeff. We can do that. But anyway, so what are your six? I'm going to go back to my my role as the as the person in the middle of the boxing ring with the with the round numbers. On it. <laughs> round one. <laughs> round one so what's your first one yeah first one is onboarding the customer mm-hmm. and um and and to me as you're trying to provide an easy way for the customer to acquire deploy the product and so you know a lot of that is on the responsibility that's on the product team mm-hmm. you know or wh- whoever's you know doing the delivery um but so from a marketing perspective is the, your objective is to be helpful so mm-hmm. you know uh you you know can you actually uh, see what the customer experiences in this in- initial product provision. Can you write welcome messages and support? Can you do educational videos? Mm. Obviously, as customer comes on board, you want to get them involved in whatever kind of customer communication vehicles you have, like you know newsletters, etc. Yeah, um, welcoming them to community or something like that. And and so you know we want to make sure that this is because th- these first couple of stages are very critical to make sure they stay as a customer Absolutely. uh and and that that initial experience you know it's like first impressions <laughs> to, mm. you know tell a lot and if it, if it's a lousy experience um you that know stinks. you need to do in marketing yeah, yeah. i mean not everybody is is uh, attuned to how to make these things a great experience so as we yeah. said your marketing often has to take the role of yeah we're the we're the people in charge of the customer experience and so let's let's 
yeah, see how yeah. it can be helpful. I think um, I, I agree with you. I mean, especially um, you can get quite sophisticated. I mean, again, I'm going to look at this through a B2B tech lens, right? Is you can actually quite easily sign up for and start working with quite sophisticated tools. And you've, did it, you've done it because you wanted to solve a particular job. And unless you get onboarded properly and really understand the depth of that tool, you're not going to get value out of it. And that will come to fruition later in, later in, that, in, in your life cycle with that product, won't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so this is a tough, yeah, and this is, it's a tough one to measure. It's like, well, what's mm-hmm. success look like? And so, yeah. I mean, I think that's where you just look at whatever metrics you have on, is there NPS score or something similar, your net promoter mm-hmm. score on the, mm-hmm. the, based on the process? Or is there engagement with your assets? Those newsletter mm-hmm. stats? You know, it's it's a tough one to measure well, what marketing's I've, impact is, but you got to yeah, kind of look at the tech. And I've, I, th- I mean, I think throughout all these stages, some of that data and some of that intelligence, you know, like you know, we, we we've always talked about win loss analysis, and it t- tends to be like in the bigger deals and the bigger, um, yep. you know, perpetual licenses and all that stuff. But really, I think just talking to the customer, right, and find out how, how did they find it, and if they're churning out. What did they think of the onboarding? And is there, is there yep. anything they could improve and all that stuff? Yeah, I think that's a good data point. All right, what's your second one, mate? Second one is adoption. And mm. this is this is even, I shouldn't say more critical. I mean, they're both critical. <laughs> or onboarding and adoption, but it's like, yeah. and, and it's particularly true with technology. Somebody buys you know, a, mm-hmm. a product or subscribes. Um, maybe they just get initial implementation. And then it kind of sits there and or somebody's using it, but it's not yeah. fully realized. I mean, we yeah. talk about all this time in doing tech assessments. Yeah. So I think this is where you got to be educational to make sure that you, the customer knows how to use the product, yeah. knows where to go for additional information. So educational videos, this is where communities, whether it's a customer portal or developer network. I mean, these mm-hmm. are really important because you got to get people engaged and involved with the product mm-hmm. uh and and I, to your the point you made earlier about you know reaching out and talking to customers so doing adoption surveys or if yeah. there is actually you know within the product itself Absolutely. you know if there's yeah. ways of doing measurement of engagement with the product if it's an online based tool or something that that feeds back messages to the um to the mothership yeah. uh and and certainly one of the things i know when i was at um well, a number of different companies, but particularly I was thinking when I was at Pegasystems mm-hmm. and we were doing, we had a very, very healthy developer network, but it had more material in it than was just for developers. And so looking at engagement in that portal uh, was extremely yeah. important to understanding whether we have what we called at the time active customers versus attriting customers. Um, when you looked at it from a from an account level, not just from an yeah. individual level. Especially- so. Yeah, and especially when you get onto the later steps as well, that those we need to measure the depth of uh, relationship that you have with that customer, right? Through all yep. these different metrics, right? Uh, we've got we've got to jog on a little bit here, mate. So, what's your third one? <laughs> We're jogging on to value realization. Yeah. So, if you want them to be a real a repeat buyer, then mm-hmm. you need to ensure they're getting the intended return however mm-hmm. that's defined uh, obviously that's going to be very situational so the idea here is to be supportive so uh you know customer listening sessions like we said before uh, customer satisfaction surveys operationalizing the kind of either it's a you know net promoter score or something similar to that where you're you're gauging how people are right. interacting with the the product and and getting the value out of it mm-hmm. um and f- 
feeding that back to both the sales team and the product teams so that mm-hmm. they know if there's situations that they need to jump on. Um, in this case, you're, you're being supportive, not only to the customer, but supportive to the, the product and other customer facing teams mm-hmm. to making sure that, uh, we've got happy customers. You know, this is like, you know, this is where the happiness uh, part <laughs> really yeah, starts yeah, to yeah. fit in because, you know, um, you know, you can get to the point where they're ecstatic, but at this point, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you want them to say, you know, I spent X dollar amount of money on this dollars, euros, yeah. pounds, and yeah. I'm getting X plus out of it. This is yeah. pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So we've got. So I should be actually naming the stages as well. So we've onboarded them. They've then started adopting the product. They're now seeing the value of the product, right, in this value realization phase. Um, and I think at this point as well is, is when we start to try and get case studies and that kind of stuff, right? And engaging with them and figuring out yep. whether it's meeting their needs. What's your, what's your fourth stage? Loyalty. So, you know, they've realized the value, you know, what else does it take to keep them satisfied? And I think this is where my catchword for this is, you know, be visionary because you want to, you want to start as, as you were saying, you know, this is where we're starting to get into the, the mode where we should be thinking about what are we, what are we going to be selling to them next? So what's the roadmap for the product they bought? What's the, yeah. you know, what are the other offerings that we can use or they can use to expand the value of what they've, they, the solution, the need they're trying to provide and the wallet share <laughs> that you're yeah, trying to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to acquire from them. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the other things that just from a number of companies that I worked at is that you, know, you get to think about like the champion or the, the big decision maker for the product, you know, what are they, where are they in their career? What can we do to help them? Because if we can help them not only be heroes within their own company, because they bought our product, um, we're there, we're going to, you know, learn, earn a lifetime customer as they go mm-hmm. on to other ventures. Yeah. If they go up the, the food chain or go up the ladder at their own company, or they move on to other companies. Now we've got people that we can, you know, help us take us into other companies. So, you know, measuring customer satisfaction, you know, again, net promoter scores, et cetera, is, yeah, is, yeah. is helpful. Um, but we start thinking about what are the renewals? What's mm-hmm. the upsell, uh, annual recurring revenue or monthly recurring revenue? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and start to evaluate the, uh, yeah. the lifetime cost Nothing. of the customer. Yeah, nothing beats a renewal to demonstrate loyalty, right? <laughs> cool. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're so we've onboarded and we've they've adopted the product. They they're realizing the value. They're now in that loyalty phase where they're sticking with us. What's the next stage after that? Is the, the next stage, which is kind of like the the holy grail stage, is ad- mm-hmm. advocacy. So you're you know you you're and obviously not every customer is well. Not every customer is going to be loyal. <laughs> Not every customer is going to be an advocate. But yeah. you know, the more that you can help them be a cheerleader, uh, this is where you know customer advocacy programs, uh, event presentations, um, you know, where you're bringing them in because they have a success story, mm-hmm. publishing success stories, getting them in, you know, in uh, you know publications, online publications, um, you know, and, and even at at the at the bare minimum getting them to uh share on social their you know their their good word about your you and your product so whether mm-hmm. that's you know google reviews on up to um you know just you know tweeting or doing other work where it's like you're you're helping you want to help them get the message out about you and their success of using you as a vendor 
Um, yeah. You know, and you can measure this in pure numbers of numbers of advocates, numbers of referrals, et cetera. Uh, but this is probably one where your your true success is going to be uh, more qualitative than quantitative. You know, again, when companies I worked at where we could get happy customers on stage mm. talking about great things that they did. I mean, that just does so much to motivate other prospects or other customers uh, to do what they did. Yeah, absolutely. So this this level of advocacy is beyond just doing a case study then. So we would probably try and get a case study around value realization phase, right? So advocacy is really now you've got them standing on stage talking about you and and, and probably um, motivated to do it themselves, if you see what I mean. You know, they are just advocates. They'll they'll tell anybody about the fact that you've got a great product. Well, I think this is part of the... Yeah, this is part of the career support yeah. is like you're yeah, yeah. you're making them visible as Absolutely. a successful yeah. uh, champion of, of yeah. uh, you know, solving certain yeah. business needs. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, who doesn't want to be on stage doing that? Well, I, sometimes I guess if you have stage fright, you don't want to be on stage. <laughs> but then you got to figure what what is the comfortable yeah. level of their advocacy yeah. that they can. Um, that they can this take. Is, so that's, and I, I think this is an important part of an influencer marketing strategy as well. You know, you need to think about what you can give and how you can support people. And um, with, with the marketing budget that you've got and the events that you run and why bring in a stranger? Why not bring in a friend yeah. and support them and bring them on? And I mean, by friend, I mean a customer. <laughs> so and you know, one of the, well, actually, the one thing I was just thinking about about this stage is when you think about customer marketing, a lot of people go to these types of programs, you know, advocacy programs, referrals, et cetera. And I think one of the lessons, at least by thinking through this model, is there are things marketing can do in those very yeah. early stages before somebody from yeah. sales says, hey, I have a hot customer here who wants to tell their story. Um, yeah. So there's work marketing can do uh, prior to help help nurture this process. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if you if you've got your process map, then you're thinking about it all the way through. Anyway, what's your sixth? We're we're we're, we're running out well, of time. So the um, so the last the last stage actually is you're bringing them back to consideration, mm-hmm. right? So you're you're you know you've gone through this and and as I think we said earlier, when you're in that value realization phase, you need to start thinking yeah. about the upsells, the cross sells, the new the new offerings, and mm-hmm. um. And so you know you're you're coming you're coming back around the, the figure eight, but hopefully you're skipping the awareness stages because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they know who you are at that yeah. point, and you've yeah. got a good reputation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a part of the failing of that figure eight because I, I like the other model that I was trying to describe earlier, where they kind of slide in at the, yes, at right. the back into the consideration phase. But of course, they might. I mean, this may not be linear. I think your first five steps are linear, but it might be they'll get into consideration phase when they're at value realization or loyalty phase, right? They don't need to yep. be an advocate to to be. Cons- they absolutely not. Yeah, no, that's cool. So, um, so we've done done all that. Any last thoughts on that? Well, I think that the the one thing to think about is that is that you know um, a lot of this is collaborating with your sales team because mm-hmm. you know they're typically the ones that are talking to the customers on a regular basis. So any cues you have on issues, I mean, obviously there's again there's tools where you can measure satisfaction. You can do your own interviewing, but being really mm-hmm. close to the sales team. So you know what's going on in accounts is absolutely uh, important and supporting them because if they say they're flagging an issue or something uh, or they're flagging a success story, you want to be able to jump on it. Um, And, you know, this is this goes back to, you know, an issue we've talked about many times before, which is customer experience. 
Mm. You are helping the company manage uh, and optimize the customer experience through all the phases. Uh, and it's not just a, hey, we sold it, so let's move on to the next customer. Yeah, yeah. Splendid. Well, we could talk about this all afternoon, I'm sure, and dive into some of these rabbit holes. I'm sure we will in future episodes. I think we should I have rabbits in my backyard, so there are plenty of rabbit holes. <laughs> I think there's I think there's a great um I think there's a great blog post on this on our five F in fundamentals of customer marketing. So look out for that, listeners. And we finish it up with what song our last item on the agenda, what song are you choosing this week? Satisfy My Soul by uh Bob Marley <laughs> and the Whalers from nineteen seventy eight. So yes. dipping a little back into the uh into history. Um yes. but uh there's you know some great thoughts in that obviously satisfy my soul is kind of what you want to do for the customer but yeah yeah there's a, a line where he says oh can't you see what you've done for me i'm happy inside all all the time <laughs> i love it yeah. i love it uh, absolute classic I'm, I'm on it with, with bob marley <laughs> so we'll play out with bob marley satisfy my soul from 1978 and will you be in the studio next week Jeff? yes i'll sure. be here i hope you'll be here too all right buddy i'll see you then see ya Splendid. Thank you, Jeff. And a classic bit of Bob Marley there with Satisfy My Soul from 1978. And customer marketing, an important and often neglected topic. What do you think? Let us know. You can contact us through the socials and at rockstarcmo.com. Right, time to go backstage with my guest. Connor Altier is the global brand strategy lead at Reebok. On LinkedIn, he describes himself as a high horsepower strategy leader. And listening to this, I think you'll agree. Connor is still relatively early in his career, but as you'll hear, after he started Boston Consultant, he's accelerated through the ranks at Reebok. It's a great story, and I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Hi, Connor. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you very much. And uh, where are we speaking to you from today? I am in Boston, Massachusetts, out of the Reebok head- Global Headquarters. Fantastic. So fantastic. And that gives away a little bit about who you are. So for people that have not met you yet, Connor, and I've had the pleasure, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, my name is Connor Altier. I work uh, in global brand strategy for Reebok. I uh, currently lead the charge for that organization right now. Um, you know, global brand strategy is uh, kind of a loaded term. I uh, tend to get my get my finger have a lot of fingers and a lot of pies, if you if you will, in, <laughs> at Reebok. So, um, been with the brand for about actually four years last week. So it's uh, wow. and, and what a four years it has been. So. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you have quite the career there. So your responsible global brand strategy, is that for a particular like line within Reebok or what's the remit? What does a global brand strategist do at Reebok? <laughs> yeah, so I'm, it's total, it is total brand. So it's, yeah. um, you know, the way that we're set up is we, uh, we have product BUs, if you will, or categories mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that are split into, into uh, footwear and apparel led by Scott Daly and Portia Blunt. And, uh, you know, and then we have a global marketing org. We sit kind of on the side of that, that we report up through our CEO. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, we're a small but mighty team and we, (laughs) we, we, we engage with everything from, you know, what is our five-year roadmap and where are we going to, um, you know, to how the heck are we going to get back into sports, which is a big, which is a big one. We get engaged in, um, you know, some more operational topics sometimes and like, how are we transitioning over to our new owners? Um, so we, uh, you know, we, it runs, it definitely runs the gamut of, uh, of, of topics. Um, but it's so definitely need to be a bit of a Swiss army knife in uh, in the world. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I love that. It sounds fascinating. And obviously working for a great brand. But you said you mentioned there or you intimated there that you worked up through the ranks having been there f- um four years. But what inspired you originally get to get into marketing in the first place? Good question. So I so I went to Providence College in Rhode Island and mm-hmm. I kind of charted my course pretty early. Yeah. Um, you know. Through the different classes that I took, I had the opportunity to take, you know, market research, take um, advertising, take, uh, you know, you know, social marketing, etc. Mm-hmm. The thing that really excited me in my classes was when I took a class by one of my mentors, Mark Defonte, and it was all about brand management. And the brand management class really was a strategy class kind of in disguise, and it ran it, it, you know, it ran through topics from, you know, you know, brand portfolio management uh, to, you know, global strategy for how a company is going to succeed into the future. And the entire class was all just case studies and papers. Um, And I, you know, I personally love to write and I love to, Mm -hmm. I love, and I I love to create compelling arguments for why you should or shouldn't do things. (laughs) So um, I knew from the get-go, I wanted to be in a, a spot in the in an organization where I could see a cross section of different uh, functions, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was you know how does product interact with marketing, how does marketing interact with go to market, and then and mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. And really, what that is is global strategy, and yeah. that is you know covering all four P's, covering uh, <laughs> all four C's, whatever framework you want to throw at it. That, you know, yeah. I, I wanted I wanted to just sit back and see it all. Yeah. So yeah, nice. I knew I needed to have a background in in some kind of consulting. And mm. I, you know, the challenge being, you know, I was a really good student at PC, but I wasn't like, you know, I didn't start a startup at PC. So I wasn't going to get into like a Bain, BCG, McKinsey on the consulting side. Right. So what wound up happening was I got into BCG on the research side because I knew mm. the back the background, the backbone to any good strategy is mm-hmm. ha- is being armed with good data, being armed with good information to be able to make your decisions. So I got into BCG on the research side and I pretty quickly, you know, networked my way and pro- proved myself in a way that I got engaged with some really cool cases. Yeah. And <clears throat> I kind of proved that I could go beyond just providing the insights into how to do this. I could pretty quickly be like, I can help you build that deck. Hey, I can, <laughs> Hey, what's actually going on with the client? Like I can, I can come to the meeting, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so it, I pretty quickly made my, made some good relationships and started to really develop that, that consulting toolkit that mm. most, you know, you know, the BCG Baines McKinsey's that they develop, you know, yeah. those frameworks of, you know, just solving problems. And, uh, I was about 20, I was about 18 to 20 months into my time at BCG. And I recognized that, um, 
I recognized that the, my work in consulting was, you know, they were short-lived stints with with different clients. I yeah, with, yeah. You know, I worked with, um, you know, I worked with. I'm like still in my BCG mode. I can't say who the clients were, but, but, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, you know, yeah. worked worked with a pretty pretty popular lingerie brand for bringing mm-hmm. in the CEO. Worked with a big uh, a big ret- a vertical retailer for like a full fledged mm-hmm. transformation. Worked with yeah. a beauty retailer for like their store footprint. So I did a lot of different things, mm-hmm. but those engagements were always like three to six months at a time. Uh, yeah. Worked on a couple of due diligences, which were. Uh, Interesting to say the least, yeah, but bet, the, yeah. but so I recognized that I wanted to be somewhere where I really had skin in the game because I'm a firm, mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer that, uh, you only really learn through ownership and you mm-hmm. really, you know, to be able to own your, you know, own your wins, own your mistakes, own, owning the outcomes. And I always felt like I was making, rec- helping make recommendations on cases and just rolling off. Mm-hmm. So, um, I wanted. I knew I wanted to be in something in like the fashion and luxury space because that's what I was doing in at BCG, mm-hmm. and I knew I wanted to be in this kind of cross section of you know I figured out what my function, what function I wanted to yeah. be in. I figured out what industry I wanted to be in. Yeah. It was just a matter of finding the right opportunity. And yeah. luckily, I uh, through a uh, mutual connection, I got connected with uh, Colleen Buckley, who was uh, a former brand strategist here at Reebok. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "Oh, we're you know we're hiring." Uh, you know, little did I, I you know I didn't really know at the time <laughs> it was actually an entry level position. So yeah. I was like, I was like, okay. I was still in my first job out of in, in, out of consulting mm, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. out of college, so I was like, "All right, I can make a somewhat lateral lateral move here into yeah, yeah. Uh, into into Reebok." You know, it was the perfect kind of scenario because mm. you know I grew up. I'm a sports guy myself. I you know I'm, I'm a fanatic about basketball. I'm a big yeah. big Knicks fan. I, I don't know if that if that tells you I'm a little yeah, bit yeah. Of a, a little bit of a masochist <laughs> there. But, but, and I know uh, that. <laughs> I'm actually, you know, I'm a pretty avid CrossFitter. I do, um, you know, and I love my brands. I love, yeah, you know, yeah. and Reebok just happened to be the perfect brand, the perfect brand. And, you know, after networking in, and then uh, when I, once I got there, I was um, definitely doing entry level position stuff. So yeah, I was yeah. sending out a weekly newsletter to people about industry news. I was, you know, helping on PowerPoint here and there. Um, but very, very quickly, at, um, you know, things changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was about six months in. My manager at the time, Sarah Adler, was she left for for Wayfair, and she, you know, she it was healthy attrition. It was time for her to move into yeah, yeah. into a more more of a leadership position. That opportunity yeah. didn't arise at Reebok, and you know, she she went and did it. And we had a couple of those scenarios that that had happened. Yeah. Um, then a little something happened in the beginning of 2020, which was that thing called COVID that like <laughs> locked, locked, that locked us all that locked us all down. And uh, pretty quickly, we had to you know strategy brand strategy at Reebok kind of had to be some of the thought leaders in the in at, at mm-hmm. the company to really keep to really keep the train on the tracks mm-hmm. and um you know I really took over at that moment really the brand planning component mm-hmm. to uh to Reebok which is you know in fashion and luxury you know anyone that's listening that is in that is in the industry knows that you're on account cal- you're on account cal- mm-hmm. we're in a futures business and we're on a calendar we mm-hmm. plan for fall winter spring summer yeah, and yeah. you know for us, I mean, you're only as fast as your slowest factory and you need time to plan. Yeah. So we were, we plan way out in advance. So I really took over that whole process of what we called brand kickoff 
And that was a little bit of my coming out party where I was like, oh, <laughs> Connor's, Connor's, pretty, Connor's pretty capable. So, so, nice. um, Congratulations. <laughs> so some of the other, you know, I, I, I'm going to go through some of like the greatest hits of my time at, at Reebok, which is uh, pretty quickly we had to start thinking about our new strategy for, uh, you know, underneath Adidas, we had to plan for our, our five-year plans. Mm-hmm. It's not like a not the communist Russia five year plans, but it's the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's the you know just our plans for growth. Yeah, and the way we were what we call we developed what we called the unleashed uh, the unleashed strategy. Mm-hmm. Little did we know, well, we kind of knew. It was a small group of us. It was you know brand strategy with myself, my my boss at the time, Laura Favre, and my one of my favorite coworkers of all time, Nicole Sember. Mm-hmm. We were you know we were kind of the small but mighty team that was de- that was developing this strategy. Um, with the help of Bain and Co, which is, you know, I was like consulting, they just pull you right back in, um, in our, in our senior leadership team. Yeah. What was interesting was we got pivoted about halfway through, you know, we, we had one strategy, we explored a couple of different options. It was like, well, what if we were totally a lifestyle brand? Mm. Or what if we were totally a, like a sports brand? Wow. What if we were like sketchers? Yeah. And that was, that was a little bit of a scary option. <laughs> but, was, but, but we, we, got pivoted about halfway through where it was just like, like, okay, this is all this stuff is all this stuff is cool, Mm. but you know, how are you guys really going to just be commercially viable? Mm. And what that was really telling us was how are you going to get ready to, for a life beyond Adidas? Mm. And I didn't know that at the time because I wasn't privy to that information. It was kind of on a need to know basis, but we essentially developed a plan that was going to be very, you know, that was going to be viable and attractive for a buyer to come in and buy and buy Reebok. Mm. So little did I know, I was actually engaged in the sale process of Reebok, like back in, back in 2020. Mm-hmm. After that, it was all about the change management of pulling the organization into that unleashed 1.0 strategy what we, that we called it. Mm-hmm. Then from there, it was about um, in the background, I wasn't as engaged with it in the beginning process with the due diligence and all of that, but we were really getting ready to get, uh, have buyers come in and start looking at, at, at purchasing mm-hmm. Reebok. Yeah. And through all of that, my boss, Laura, at the time had to be very engaged with that. You know, they, they had to yeah. you know, put together a 500 page deck with, yeah. with JP Morgan for the due diligence and everything. Wow. So I got to really ingrain in the business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and at a certain point it was just myself and Laura. So we had to be kind of force multipliers for one another. Mm. Um, roll the clock forward to August of 21. They announced our new, we, like, I went through the whole sale process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I sat on a lot of presentations. I saw some partners I've actually worked with at BCG advising some of the buyers coming in, which was kind of a full circle moment yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. Um, but eventually authentic brands came came along and made the, made the best bid and they mm. started and they, they offered to buy. Yeah. And the uh, so from there, it was really about transitioning over and authentic brands had a very different business model than we were used to, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, we, we were we dissolved our subsidiaries around the world and we went over into more of an operating partner model. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we just went through all the bumps that you can imagine of, of, tra- of transition. There's fear. There's the you know, you got to keep the mm-hmm. lights on. Um, how are things going to be different? You've got people, you know, you know, people that are, you know, that are leaving, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was just, we just kind of weathered the storm for, uh, weathered the storm for a while. Mm-hmm. Now I reported to a bunch of different people during that time because during, yeah. in May of 20, 
21. I had one of the scariest moments of my life when Laura told me she was leaving for Adidas. And I was, I, I was like, oh man, I'm about to be a stray electron here. <laughs> like, that is like, um, so, but luckily I started reporting into our chief of staff, uh, Mike mm-hmm. McDonough at the time. He kind of took me in. He was like, you're yeah. going to, yeah. you're going to be Todd's chief of staff and you're going to, who's our yeah. head, of, who was our head of product at the time. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to be brand strategy that's coming along with you. Yeah. So, um, Lo and behold, uh, a couple months, a uh, couple months go by, you know, we're in this flying formation. Um, Mike uh, McDonough leaves who, and I'm like, oh, I'm a stray electron again. Yeah. Um, I start reporting directly into Todd, but then during the summer, something really interesting happened and Todd shot me a text and was like, he was like, Hey, like it was in like, I think it was in like July. And he <laughs> shot me a text. He was like, Hey, you working on Monday? I was yeah. like, yeah, what's up? And he was like, what's halfway between your house and my house? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I don't know. What are you, what are you saying? What, what is happening? <laughs> and we, we met in a Panera in brain in Randolph, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And he basically was like, all right, dude, we've got this unleashed strategy that is like, you know, we know how, you know, we know our consumer, we know what products we're going to make. We know that we know mm-hmm. how we're going to market to the consumer. How would you do it if we were going to to go faster and if we were to go bigger? <laughs> and I was, that signaled, that signaled to me two things. Yeah. One, one, this is about to be a lot of fun. Two, Todd is for sure about to step in as CEO. Yeah, yeah. and it, and it was that that was the case, and it was you know we doodled on paper at, at a, in a Panera for a couple of hours, and that's when the genesis of this Unleashed 2.0 came about, nice. and that's really when I stepped into more of this brand strategy lead position. Um, I know I went through the whole story. Oh but the, it's, it's important to know that that's kind of how things happened. I was in the right place at the right time for in a mm-hmm. lot of different circumstances. Um, and I've had to kind of adapt to my surroundings yeah, in, like yeah. constantly, whether that's getting engaged deeply on the product side and understanding how FOBs mm-hmm. work, understanding how our supply chain works, understanding mm-hmm. how we cost out a shoe, all the way over to like, you know, how are we going to market to consumers and how are we how do marketing funnels work? And like, how do you start to develop like for, for a brand, our size, like it, it's just, you know, yeah, yeah. understanding all the nuances that go into, that go into marketing. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's yeah, very yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I think the biggest thing I would say is, you know, I've experienced a lot in a short amount of time in my career, mm-hmm. but I'm just so incredibly, incredibly thankful for the people that have believed in me and allowed me to be like, you know, yeah, Connor will be all right. <laughs> yeah. He's capable. He'll figure it. He'll fi- he'll figure it out. You know, our brand kickoff. Ah, we'll just give it to him. Like, 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 like. Oh, like, oh, someone's leaving. Oh, well, he'll be Todd's chief of staff. It's all good. He'll, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of the journey. I know that was kind of long winded. Oh man, oh man, I feel like I was drinking from the fire hose then, mate. That was like I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was yeah. great. Well, congratulations to you. What a wonderful career! Like, and that was just four years, right? What you've just the story you've just told me. You've 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 lived a life just in four years. That's, yeah, it's like yeah, it, it, I've definitely lived dog years. I read. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to try and get to one of my questions here. We're already 17 minutes in. Um, all good. If this one, if, if we go long, it's all good. We, 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 we time. <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, uh, because I know that a lot, and I like the way that you are so with the consulting organization, and you wanted to see something through, and that 
sort of led you to being client side, which I think a lot of us experienced. I've done the same. I've been at agencies and consultancies, and it's actually better to own the problem and see it through to the end, right? Which I think is interesting you took that role. But right now, you've you've mentioned a number of agencies you work with there. And I know you work with um, Eric Fulweiler, who introduced us from Rival. What's your What insight can you give from a client side about working with agencies? What's your top tip? I think what's really helpful is to really think about uh, thinking about it as a relationship rather than rather than just this static thing mm. that, that than this static thing. And I, it's so true for us because we operate in such a different way than I think a lot of other brands do in the in the space. Like Reebok, we we move pretty quickly. We things are changing on a daily basis. Uh, I like to think we're like a big, small company where, mm-hmm. you know, we are this big brand, but we actually don't have a huge employee footprint. So we actually are pretty nimble to, you know, to do different mm-hmm. things. But I think what's made what's made Rival so successful and the work with us so successful is they really understood the dynamics of our organization and how decisions get made. And they've helped kind of, in, they've ingrained in some, in that process. Mm-hmm. And understanding that the strength of Reebok is 100% in the people Mm-hmm. And it's not we we wanted to move away from more of this top down decision making process and really have a more community driven strategy, community driven brand. And, you know, obviously they leaned on me a lot to bring pe- to bring different people to the table. Yeah. But they leaned in. They leaned into that as a strength with it, whether it was through the planning process of how we were going to get the work done, yeah. whether it was, you know, you know, what are the you know hearing people out? It was just such a such an organic process process Mm -hmm. that you know instead of coming in and just saying hey this is how it needs to be because this is how we do things it was that it was being able to be malleable to the Mm -hmm. way that decisions get made because that's how things become sticky yeah you can you can really help you can help a client all day long and help them help them do things but the moment you roll off it, it it's it, like sometimes it, the rubber just doesn't hit the road. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Like we, the way we've done things with Rival is we have critical mass in the business of how of making some of the making some of these big changes that we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Whether it was on whether it was the positioning within the category, some of the way that we've thought about consumer, uh, the essence of the brand and our purpose moving forward. Mm-hmm. It's sticky because we rival engage with enough of a cross section of the organization mm-hmm. for it for the change management to almost already happen organically. Right. Right. So I, I would say that that's a really important piece and you have to be a little bit comfortable with some push and pull in a relationship and that. Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. And that's what I give, that's what I give, you know, Eric and team just mm-hmm. so all the credit in the world because they really, they hit, really hit the nail on the head with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a two way thing. It's like how you treat the agency and how you bring them in and, and how they react to you and how they can and they, they work with you and it becomes sort of one team rather than these two separate teams by the sounds of things. Yeah, they really got ingrained. They really got ingrained as well in the history of everything, right. of, of everything yeah, that's yeah. happened. Yeah, like. Yeah. You know, Reebok has been many things to many people over the years. Uh, you know, part of that is because of, you know, I could, this could be a podcast in and of itself, just the history <laughs> of Reebok with Adidas. But the, the, you know, we've, you know, we've been a lot of different things and mm. understanding that and understanding what that means to the people within the business. Mm. Because there's certain people that, for example, Todd Krinsky started in the mailroom at not wow. in 92, in 92, and now he's the CEO. So he's seen yeah, everything. Yeah. The sports yeah. heyday. Some people came in because because there were huge CrossFit people. Some people yeah. came in uh, yeah. because they love basketball. I'm making it up, but you know, mm. but they yeah, really yeah. took they took all that input 
and understood that and mm-hmm. understood that we need to kind of come up with something from a strategic lens that not only people will get on board with, but is also making a choice here. So they knew that that was kind of a thing that we needed to really nail down as a brand. Mm-hmm. And that wouldn't have happened if they weren't ingrained with the people. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, I love that. And this has been a great conversation. I'm going to have to leap to our final question. Um, we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Simple, our portal marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake on overhyped trends that plague this industry we love. What would you chuck in there? Ooh, I thought about this over the weekend. And <laughs> I was talking to my I was talking to my girlfriend about it, and we were, I was like, hmm, what is it? Um, I think one of the biggest things right now is just all the rhetoric around like AI and Chat GPT, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think. I, I, I think we just need to throw all of the like, it's going to completely take over the world and all of our jobs are going to, we're all going to be out of jobs, like yeah, into yeah. the toilet. Because, yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. I, 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 I mean, I had a conversation of, about this with some, with a couple of people at work. It's really only as powerful as the person driving. Mm-hmm. And I worked with some AI tools when I was at BCG. It really only works and it's only sticky if you have a brain behind it and you know the inputs that you're that 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 you're giving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I've I've used ChatGPT a couple of times just to, you know, you know, mm. get inspiration for, you know, for Deep. just words Deep. to yeah. use within like we were creating a brand manifesto for Reebok for what, how we want to do that. You know, mm. what is the, the essence of the brand moving forward? What's the yeah. feel? And you gotta give it just really specific inputs and it'll give you some specific words mm. back. But uh, I think South Park hit the nail on the head like, with, with, the, with their episode where they let Chad GPT write the, the end of their like one of their episodes. And you were just like, man, this is just not human. Like it is. Yeah, just, this yeah, is yeah. So I, th- I truly think that there's there's a level of we're always going to need people yeah. to to develop brands, to develop to develop strategy, to develop, yeah. you know, because people are really the heartbeat of a brand, you yeah. know, and the people are the ones that bring it to life. And I don't think there's ever going to be a scenario where Chat GPT or AI just completely takes over. So let's. Uh, I love let's, that. Let's, let's, let's that throw the fear mongering. <laughs> throw, throw, throw the fear mongering of Chat GPT in the pool. It's actually, super helpful if you use it right. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I love this, mate. And I've really enjoyed our conversation. And, um, I, you know, I wish I could go on and on and on with you. And hopefully you'll come back on the show because there were so many questions I'm going to ask you. You've got a great role there. And uh, I'm, I'm happy to do a part two. I'm sorry it was a bit of a biography. Hey, no, man. I think <laughs> that's really inspirational. Hopefully, the listener found it inspirational. Anyway, I think it's great. So, but when people do spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to find you and they want to learn a bit more about you, where are they going to find you? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I am on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So you can find me at, uh, you know, Connor, uh, Connor Altier, uh, the first guy at Reebok. I hope there's not another Connor Altier at Reebok. Um, <laughs> and then um, I am on Instagram quite a bit. So yeah. Connor, Connor uh, at C-A-L-T-19. Um, you know, I'm sometimes posting stupid workout stuff if you're ever interested in that kind of, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Nice. But, um, but yeah, that's where, that's, where you get, that's where you can find me. Splendid. All right, mate. Well, I'll include those links in the show notes. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you. And uh, let's get it. Let's do this again. I look forward to it. Do it. All right, buddy. Thanks, mate. Cheers. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Connor. Fun conversation. I will, of course, include all of Connor's links in the show notes. Right. 
It's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar and the end of the week. Mm. Uh, a lovely, a lovely end of the week, and and finally some. We've had f- such weird weather here in Southern California, so it's very nice to have some sun out and be warm and feel like getting out into the thing. And so, um, with that in mind, <clears throat> and sort of the the need to get. Uh, something relaxing for the end of the week. I have a special cocktail for us this week um, just to think about. And it's all about, you know, because it is to be getting to that time of year, mm-hmm. uh, a little blueberry action. Ooh. So because I love the color that when you mix up blueberries and cocktails, I love the color that it creates because it does not create a blue color as, as you may or may not know. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you muddle blueberries or mash them or blend them or whatever you do to put into your cocktail, it makes a very, almost a pink or purple color. Um, and so this is, uh, something that we are calling our, uh, blueberry lavender spritzer. Ooh. Um, which is a very nice for a warm summer day and very refreshing, I should say. Very simple to make, very easy, easy drink to make, assuming you can get blueberries. <laughs> I don't know if they actually have blueberries in the UK, but let's assume that they do for a moment. Um, and so you get blueberries uh-huh. and then you have, this is a vodka drink, so you'll get um, a good amount of vodka. So this is all going to be done into a pitcher. Okay. Um, and so you'll have a pitcher where or a or a giant uh, shaker or whatever you want to mix things mm-hmm. in. So you'll do your blueberries, you'll muddle them up. <clears throat> however you like to muddle things. You can blend them, you can crush them, you can muddle them, whatever makes the best sense for you. Just mash them up some however you mm-hmm. get in there. Then put a couple of cups and I really did say cups of vodka. <laughs> um, and then again, I don't add simple syrup because I think the fruit adds definitely enough sweetness, uh-huh. but you can add simple syrup if you want to, but then a little bit of lime juice mm-hmm. and then basically top it all off with soda water. So sort of, you know, your, your, your favorite soda water. And that basically gets you to and you shake it all up and then you pour it in and you can garnish it i typically like to garnish with uh, a little bit of lavender Ah. or a little bit of of uh, lime whatever is your favorite Mm -hmm. garnish and that is a just very lovely refreshing drink to sit out on on a warm early summer day nice and that's all yours right you don't share that it's just big straw top of the drink (laughs) yeah well two yeah two cups of vodka yeah you're gonna you're gonna we're gonna share it together (laughs) There's, there's a couple of you know, there's there's a couple of drinks in that, you know, each. I love that. I wondered where the lavender was going to come in when you were talking about it there, because that that's, uh, sounds great. And by the way, we do have blueberries. I actually had some with my breakfast this morning, but I shall attempt to make that very drink using only the ingredients of my desktop bar. And this week, remembering the script of my own show. Um, did you put ice in that, Robert? Uh, you do ultimately. I, I mix, oh. what I do is I mix it up and shake it up and get it all blended oh, together. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. pour it over ice, but you uh, could also cr- you could also do this as a crushed ice kind of thing wow. too, if you felt like doing oh, that. So that you could blend curious. all the ice in there with it and make sort of a yeah, you know, almost like a smoothie, if you will. But um, it's really up to you. Okay, well, I'm going to put some of the most English of vodkas that I can find on my desktop bar, and that would obviously be Hendrix Gin. 
hints of blueberry in that Hendrix gin, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, well, it's blue on the label. Oh, and the nice thing was it was my birthday recently, and my wife bought me some more. Oh, yes, indeed. I forgot to to tell you happy birthday. Absolutely happy birthday. Everybody in the audience should should tweet out (laughs) a nice happy birthday to Ian. Well, my wife. Host of this wonderful um, podcast. (laughs) No, um, she's encouraging my gin habit because she, she bought me these really nice gin glasses. And also, soon, if I bring them to my desk, top bar i shall be able to have big rocks as well she got me some big you know the, the oh the, the big molds, molds that yeah, you can put yeah, down to make the big rocks and uh she also got me a different um a different tonic water but i've still got the uh, cucumber tonic water on my desktop here bar. i'll tell you a funny story as you're making your drink i'll tell mm-hmm. you a funny story which is as you know i am a semi star wars fan i'm much more oh, of a yeah. star trek fan but um one of my good friends our good uh-huh. friends jk kalinowski oh yeah gave gave me uh death star uh mold for uh ice which oh, is the coolest thing it's like yeah. a it's a circular as you might imagine ball about the yeah. size of a cue ball on a pool table um and it makes these beautiful things, but it's in the shape of a death star oh, which nice. my wife has taken to so much. She loves having her cocktail with that Death Star. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, uh, big rock. I love it. And it's funny, there's a Star Wars feature here because as well as all the gin stuff, my, my wife bought me a Mandalorian t-shirt as well. So, there it so, is, yeah. So there's a couple of fucking geeks together there. Like, um, Yes, anyway, so what I did there is I put the most English of... Um, blueberries uh, which obviously we all know is the cucumber um oh. and and poured that into this drink and i'll give it a taste mm. that is delicious robert i could drink one of these every week what are we calling this you might <laughs> we are definitely calling that the blueberry lavender spritzer very nice and a jug of that sounds very nice and where would a we jug, be? That's, it's, that's the key is a jug <laughs> and we will call it a jug too not a pitcher not a carafe <laughs> But a jug. We're going to make a jug of lavender spritzer. <laughs> and where would we be drinking these drinks this week, Nathan? Well, I think we should be here in Southern California because it is turning into be such a beautiful mm. early summer. It's normally got gets hot here um, right away in yeah. June. Um, but it hasn't actually this year. And we're really still in very temperate high uh, Fahrenheit. So forgive me for the Europeans, but a, mm. uh, sort of high 70s. Nice. Um, which is just absolutely spectacular, especially in the late afternoon, evening. So I'm figuring we go down to uh, either San Diego or there's a place just north of San Diego called Laguna Beach, which was just a, oh, yeah. a fantastic yeah. beach to have a wonderful mm-hmm. jug of, um, <laughs> of, of lavender uh, blueberry uh, vodka spritzers and just sit and watch the either watch the sunrise if we're feeling particularly <laughs> particularly alcoholic um or uh if we can watch the sunset if we're feeling a little more responsible to life i like either of those at our age i'm not sure that we would see them i don't think we'd stay up late enough to see the sunrise yeah, well so. no it's a breakfast drink it's it's really if you think about it it's, it's, a, it's a breakfast drink you know you could have these and a couple of donuts and you'd be set for the day i think <laughs> Man, that's the life I want. That sounds fantastic. What are you having this morning for breakfast, love? Blueberry lavender spritz and, and Krispy Kreme donut. donuts. Yes, we're done. <laughs> we are done. Classy. All right, and then uh, so we're enjoying our breakfast, um, watching the sunrise um, over Laguna Beach. Is that near Laguna Seca, the racetrack? 
Uh, no, there's, it's it's not. It, uh, there are racetracks close by, but it is um, uh-huh. it is actually not close to either the horse racing okay. or car- auto racing. Oh, okay. Tracks. All right. Anyway, so we're by the beach, and the conversation turns from my uh, my lack of knowledge of Californian geography to marketing. <laughs> <laughs> what yes. are we What are we talking about this week? Well, it's something really easy and light. Uh, it's just something that I have been using more and more, and I thought I would share. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a huge fan of. Uh, mnemonic devices to remember things. Um, and especially when it comes to being able to explain concepts like marketing or define, you know, this or define that. And one of my favorites is, of course, as you well know, I'm a huge fan of Philip Kotler. Yep. Um, and he, defi- when, when asked to define marketing, this is a few years ago, he wrote it in a book. He basically broke it down into a, a mnemonic, uh, which he called CCDVTP. So it's how I always remember how to define a great definition of marketing, mm-hmm. which is CCDVTP, which stands for create, communicate, deliver value to a target, uh, at a profit. And it's mm-hmm. so easy to remember. Now, each of those obviously has, definitions, right? So if somebody says at a cocktail party or at a conference or something, tell me how you define marketing. I lean on Kotler's mnemonic there to get to CCDVTP. And I go, it's about creating content experiences to communicate, to clearly and in a coordinated way, communicate a message that delivers value to a target market that, but does so at a profit for the business. And I just think it's a great definition of marketing. It always helps me remember it so I can always be consistent when I'm doing it. And so one of the things that I've noticed that I was doing lately uh, was, you know, I get asked a lot to define my take or our take, my little consulting company's Mm -hmm. take on content strategy. And, you know, I've, I've got a whole university class, you know, 10 modules, blah, 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 that trains people on this kind of stuff. But in many cases, I need to define some things in a very simple, straightforward and short, by the way, brief, you know, cause yeah. nobody, you know, <laughs> give me your hour long explanation of content strategy said nobody ever. <laughs> um, and so I've basically broken it down to, uh, what I'm now calling the five C's, which is mm. coordination, collaboration, content before containers and channels. And it, again, it just helps me remember how to talk about that where I, somebody says, tell me about content strategy. And I say, okay, there are my five C's. There are coordination, which is all about how content is really about communication and making sure that, you know, you are coordinated in the messaging and the stories and the content you're creating across the business. Mm-hmm. Then there's collaboration, which is ensuring that you're reusing and repackaging and basically collaborating on ideas to basically create reusable, repackageable ideas that can be used across multiple channels, multiple parts of the customer's journey. Then content before containers, really reversing the idea of thinking about uh, containers first. In other words, stop the thinking of I need an email or I need an ebook or I need a white paper and rather think about content Mm -hmm. and how we're going to create it and then think about all of the containers that might be in that content, and then ultimately having specific and discrete and explainable goals for every channel that you're going to put that content on, because that's how you're going to reach your audiences. And so just, and so like CCDVTP, the, the, each of those five C's has their own definition, has their own philosophy behind it. Yeah. And I can go deeper, but I can very quickly 
describe a content strategy that I want to speak to if somebody asks about it. So I thought it might be useful. So I, I, I wrote a little bit. about. Yeah, it. no, I love that. And um, I mean, CCDVTP is a bit beyond what I can remember. I mean, I like the three letter acronyms and maybe I might be pushed to four. And so you're five. You're right. five. As soon as it gets to six, you're done. <laughs> yeah, so you're They're trying to remember a phone number. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're five were coordination, collaboration, content, containers, and channel, which I like. And also, I've, um, I, I, I do that sort of thing myself. I mean, I've, I've got that art thing that I always keep talking about, awareness, revenue, and trust. And also, when I was doing content marketing, I would talk about um, three or four Cs as well. And I, I think it's a great technique to... To remind not only yourself, but also the way that you can structure that content. Yeah. And you could, I mean, I've thought about adding to the C, you know, there's, the, you know, yeah. there's, 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 of course, communication. There's, of yeah. course, channel, uh, excuse me, community. Um, yeah. There's also commerce, you know, there's, yeah. there's all kinds of other C's you could add to yeah. that. But for me, it was really around how do I explain that and, and really get crisp around the idea that I think, Content strategy has little to do, actually, um, with, you know, I mean, content is one of the words, but it's got way more to do with the activities and mm. communication that we have with each other. In other words, a great content strategy is much more around the activities that we perform uh, to communicate rather yeah. than the content we actually put onto the, you know, digital page, as it were. Yeah. And so... I always wanted to focus the, these my ideas around content strategy to really put a highlight or an underline under it's about the primary piece is about the collaboration and coordination mm -hmm. and collaboration that is required um, rather than what words you use. Because ultimately, the thing that's going to change the most are the words and the pictures and the messages that you use. If you can build a foundation, a strategy around the rest of it, then yeah. it frees you up to think about, okay, what are all the free words and pictures yeah. and messaging that I want to do? Yeah, no, I like, and also, so I like the way that you start off with coordination and collaboration, because I think that's where, if I've listened to anything you've talked about on this show, that seems to be the key place where actually people are failing. It isn't the containers and the channel that comes later. Right. And we often start with the second of your five C's, sorry, the fourth and fifth of your five C's yeah. rather than start with the first two and the first two are the most important. And then content is in the middle. I, I'm trying to remember what my three C's used to be around content marketing and I didn't pay any attention to actually creating the content, I've realized, because I think mine was something like customer content and context. Um, but it was sure. more about yeah, that's the, good too. Yeah, but this, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't do it for a living like you do. And I, so I think that coordination and collaboration, I, I really like that. I mean, I'd ruin it because nowadays I'd call it the five FNCs uh, because of uh, I'm trying to lean into this rockstar CMO thing. But um, that's good as well. So have you, so have you, I mean, they sound like chapters to a book. I mean, you've got your book coming out, haven't you? Is that a, is that a sneaky hint of what you're at the structure of your book? Well, the 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 the, the five C's is not in there, <laughs> but the more the more detailed version of it yeah, is, yeah. right? So, this is basically, you know, if <laughs> if you only had, and and honestly, that's been the genesis of it was you know the the framework that I present in the book about how to develop. A uh, a strategic operation of content strategy 
Um, it has what we call our, you know, it's our, it's our three pillars and the five pressure points that we, that we always, that we always look to in any business. And I won't belabor those now, but, but the idea is how do I, you know, in order to explain that I need a chapter, like I need 20 minutes or 30 minutes to explain that. And it's like, you know, if you don't have 20 or 30 minutes to explain that, how do I explain the framework or the, the sort of detail behind it in a very 90 yeah, second yeah. or two yeah. minute way. That's and that's, fact. and that's when I started yeah, talking yeah. about this. So it's literally how I've been opening up conversations with people who are like, well, tell me about the book, yeah, you yeah. know, tell me about the, the framework. It's like, well, all right, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Right? All right. Well, I raised the topic of your book there. When is it coming out? September, it's September really? at content marketing where we will be launching. Oh, the book, yeah. splendid, splendid. And uh, for when people want to find where these five C's are, where you're coordinating, collaborating, your content in and containering and channeling, where they're going to find that. <laughs> wow. See how you put that together. There? That, was, that was almost, wow. Almost with some forethought. Um, uh, you can find it on our website, which is contentadvisory.net. <laughs> and when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, right? LinkedIn these days. We're doing a lot of LinkedIn, yeah. LinkedIn these days. We're putting our podcast out on LinkedIn and a yeah. live broadcast where yeah. I'm, I'm posting there at least every day and really interacting and having lots of fun, fun times. Yeah, no, it's good to see this on marketing now live. So that's quite cool. I mean, I'm an audio listener with an audio podcast, but it's good to see you guys in video as well. So I'd encourage people to drop along and see that. So that's cool. And most important for me, will I see you live in the bar next week? Oh, you will. Of course you will. Absolutely. You will. <laughs> and did I see you then? Thank you, Robert. I love those five C's of content marketing. And he describes them in an article on the Content Marketing Institute blog that I'll include a link to in the show notes. So that's a wrap on episode 169, the Rockstar CMO FA Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Connor and Robert for sharing their experience and to you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. Please let us know what you think. You can contact us through our website, rockstarcmo.com. Catch us on the socials. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn and Twitter. And of course, we love those reviews. Or <laughs> just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back in the studio. I go backstage for a fun chat with Jill Jago, co-founder of The Moose Beauty. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.